A very warm welcome to all our listeners today on cliffcentral.com. You are listening to Professor David Block and our broadcast every Tuesday from 2 p.m. until 3 p.m. is entitled Looking Up with David Block. It's a tremendous joy today to expose to you the awesome realm of cosmic detectives. I'm sure you are aware on Earth with all the vast amounts of crime that uh, there are myriads of detectives in Africa, in the United States, and elsewhere on this globe. But today we're going to be focusing on cosmic detectives, and I have with me in studio a man, a scientist, whom I have admired for many, many years indeed. Now let me just set the story. Some mysteries. On the one hand is an incredible stone, greenish stone, in the scarab or the brooch, if you like, or the pictorial of the Pharaoh Tutankhamun. And if you look on Wikipedia and you look up Tutankhamun's scarab, you'll see this incredibly beautiful yellow-green stone. The question, of course, is, could the stone have been of extraterrestrial origin? Is it possible that this incredible object, this stone, actually is the result of some space-time event? That's mystery number one. Mystery number two is a stone, in quotes, perhaps an ordinary stone, is found in the Egyptian desert. But it's black in color. So we've got a numerous number of mysteries. Now, whenever you have a crime scene, the detectives have to go there and analyze the evidence at hand to try and unlock these cosmic mysteries. So I have with me today, as I've said, a man whom I've admired for many years, and his name is Dr. Marco Andrioli. Now, Dr. Andrioli has got a vast amount of experience in terms of being a cosmic detective. He goes around analyzing, if you like, fingerprints, the DNA of uh, cosmic events, and he places them all together, just like we do, for example, at a crime scene, take a little piece of hair and identify that that hair comes from this specific person. Murders have been solved this way. Now, Dr. Andrioli's experience stretches way back to the University of the Witwatersrand, also the Atomic Energy Board, as it was known, now the National Energy Corporation of South Africa. And Marco, it's a singular honor today to introduce you and to welcome you to cliffcentral.com. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Bloch, for this uh, great opportunity to share the excitement uh, of, uh, uh, that I received over the years uh, the, from this particular enigma or puzzle or that we call now hepatia. It's uh, started uh, with... Uh, Let's just, if I may interject, could we just basically, briefly, tell our listeners on cliffcentral.com exactly who 
Ipatia was? Ipatia was a fourth century uh, scientist, the first uh, lady uh, mathematician yes. of antiquity. Yes. And um, she was uh, the, the leader of the leading, uh, major research institute of, of the of the era of we call it the late Roman Empire, the yes. uh, Alexandria Library. Yes. And uh, where they we would be in our moment would be the MIT or one of the Caltech would be uh, she was uh, doing research in astronomy yes the and first the, female astronomer you would yeah, say yes she was an astronomer first, and a mathematician yes. and yes. Uh, and uh, she unfortunately had uh, encountered a very tragic death uh, yes and um, so over the centuries this figure um, has attracted poets uh, painters and uh, been fascinated by this person and I thought that uh, it was an appropriate name uh, to celebrate uh, and uh, with uh, dedicate the stone that is Egyptian it comes from a distant part of the of our solar system okay and let's just hold it there so I just want to take listeners through this very very carefully is you have got a stone named after one of the greatest female astronomers, I would say of all time, certainly the first female astronomer who resided in Alexandria of, um, in Egypt. And one can just imagine at the time being in Alexandria, and it must have been incredible, Marco, just to be able to visit the Great Library, for example. It must have been an unprecedented era when you had books of that sort of cloth, that sort of ilk, available in a library. What are your thoughts, just in imaginative, as you would walk into the library at Alexandria? Um, I saw uh, somewhere a reconstruction, uh, yes. uh, digital, and uh, yes. it, uh, it portrayed this extraordinary building, uh, yes. vast and high. I mean, uh, it contained uh, thousands, perhaps millions of uh, Scrolls, uh, and it must have been uh, a deep experience uh, for uh, for uh, those that were fortunate uh, to to visit. Uh, it's a way as uh, when uh, one comes to visit uh, to uh, to our Wartenweiler yes, library, yes. and you see these magnificent paintings and the theses and all this uh, concentration of efforts of scholarly efforts of people that dedicated their lives and their years of youth to pursue the most noble of uh, knowledge uh, and the quest. And uh, so in, the, in this library that was active for hundreds of years, yes. it must have been a, a very touching... Emotional uh, experience. Emotional, uh, yes. Yes. And of course, the wonderful thing really is, is that here you have this female astronomer and philosopher Gang there, I would say, on almost a daily basis, possibly, or weekly basis. I think they were working a full time like us. Uh, exactly. To be productive yes. uh, in science, uh, you cannot really let down. Uh, no. So now to just start filling in the little puzzles, the little detective steps which Marco took. The basic uh, finding, and then Marco will explain in detail how this worked, was that there's now a comet named Hippatia. 
And I think that is just awesome, Marco. And just uh, hats off to you for suggesting to the astronomical fraternity that uh, a comet should be named in honor of Hippatia, the first female astronomer. I think it's very important. As you say, Hippatia has captured the imagination of scientists, of poets, of authors, of filmmakers, and so on. But to honor her eternally, in a sense, is just something to which I say to you, hats off. Now, with regard to this comet, Hippatia, it's a very exceptional comet. Uh, and I'd like to mention that the discovery in which Marco was involved uh, attracted a viewership online of 42 million clicks. So in other words, this discovery, which this cosmic discovery, this cosmic detective work, which Marco Andrioli was involved in, went online and in the online media including National Geographic, the story we are about to tell you was read by an audience of over 42 million. Have you ever encountered any scientific paper where the readership is 10,000, 20,000, 100,000? Well, for some papers possibly. But certainly to have a paper, a research paper, of which I was invited to be part as well, and to have a paper which has a readership online of 42 million is probably, and I do not want to over-exaggerate, but is probably one of the greatest viewerships of all time concerning any one single uh, scientific discovery. So let's start in the um, Libyan-Egyptian desert, Marco. Here is your friend, Dr. Ali Bakarat. And he's just walking around in the desert. Lead us on. Tell us what he finds. Well, uh, he uh, has been walking around uh, that part of the of the southwest of Egypt and uh, that desert uh, for many years, uh, for many times, yes. Uh, yes. looking for uh, uh, blocks of uh, this uh, very valuable, uh, beautiful stone called the uh, uh, Libyan desert glass. Uh, could you and, describe uh, that to the listeners, please? This Libyan desert glass, just in terms of texture, it in is, terms uh, of feel. It is looks like a, a jade. It's a blocks of green jade, and um, it comes in small pebbles, but also chunks of a couple of kilo, kilograms. Yes. And uh, in particularly in the evening sun, those that have visited the, the desert looking for the stone, they claim that is. Uh, Amazing to see the reflection of the setting sun through this glowing green glass. And um, so, so Ali Bakarat's walking around and seeing this Libyan desert glass. Yes. Yes, but uh, he also noticed once that there was this black uh, pebble. Um, yes. How the big size was it, eh? How big was it? It's, a, it's like a match cigarette. A, a cigarette a matches, box? Matches box. A matchbox. Match all right, box. all right, all right. And he noted that uh, despite uh, the incrustation of cl- mud and the ferruginous uh, in- uh, material that of the desert, there was this very black, yes. shiny uh, yes. uh, core. Yes. And uh, he uh, was puzzled. He had never seen like uh, anything like that before. So he brought it to the laboratory 
and the geologists uh, use uh, diamond blades to show off uh, rocks uh, to make uh, to look under the microscope yes. but the uh, uh, story goes that uh, he shattered the diamond blade and this was clearly uh, the indication that there was something extraordinarily hard yes. in the and probably a diamond material so he could see little fragments that look like uh, uh, octahedra uh, crystals of yes. diamond yes so he over the years uh, there was uh, a lot of uh, interest uh, potentially could have been uh, the indication of a diamond field in Egypt uh, away yes. from a classic diamond areas yes but um, when it w- became clear that it was not economic uh, value then he was able to pursue and uh, the study in a more rel- scientific way yes. uh, the, the early days probably must have been more targeted commercially Uh, and uh, then he studied did the investigation with the techniques available at the time and how far could he go i mean here he's seeing this little uh, black pebble and it looks very unusual and even a blade breaks upon trying to uh, break it um how far was he able to go and could you lead us through the way you were able to get fragments of that stone to our country yeah um well he uh, was uh, did he to, think it was the result of a comet that no, hit egypt he thought uh, david that uh, this stone was uh, uh, some organi- organic material ca- carbon rich yes. material yes. Uh, uh, terrestrial which had been shocked by an explosion due to a meteorite the meteorite that had converted the Libyan or the Egyptian desert sand yes. to a glass yes. and instead in a carbon instead of vaporizing it had the shock wave of this explosion had crystallized the diamond so, so in other words what he was saying Marco just for the benefit of our listeners is that we know that over the eons of time there have been chunks of rock called meteorites which come in from outer space they don't burn up in the earth's upper atmosphere because they're too massive they continually strike the earth they create massive craters like the Arizona crater and so the thinking of Dr. Bakarat was that this could just be the result for example of just a meteorite a chunk of rock from outer space which impacts enters the earth's atmosphere and creates a little hole in general is that correct yeah that is the that is correct and uh, so the stone after he had finished the study was uh, part of its segment uh, were sent to colleagues uh, the previous uh, friends of ali uh, in italy and uh, there was an there is this uh, gentleman in Bologna the University of Bologna who is a yes. very active collector of uh, anything um, of interest mineralogical he has this uh, museum that he calls Museo del Cielo della Terra Museum of the Earth and the Sky anything unusual wonderful uh, he, what a lovely name uh, yes. museum of the earth and of the sky, of the sky. and at this point we're going to have a little a break with one of my favorite singers Enya 
You can reach me, of course, on 0861-555-189. The Twitter at cliffcentral.com. On Instagram, why not reach us on Cliff Central? On Facebook, reach us on Cliff Central. And the WeChat ID is indeed Cliff Central. You can reach me personally on my Twitter feed at Starry Galaxy Man. At Starry Galaxy Man. And my webpage is www.davidblock.co.za. You are listening to one of the great cosmic detectives, Marco Andrioli, who's going to be expounding yet further how this stone is no ordinary meteorite, but is actually the result of a comet which exploded above the Egyptian and Libyan desert. The first time in history that a comet explosion has ever been documented to this extent. And again, let me remind all our listeners that uh, this specific research finding of a comet from the very depths of outer space and outer cosmic time enters the Earth's atmosphere and explodes above the Egyptian desert has been followed by 42 million people. It is time to listen to Enya.
Welcome back to Looking Up with Professor David Block. I have in studio today an absolutely unique guest, Marco Andrioli, who is basically the lead driver, I would say, behind this discovery of a comet which is named Hippotea exploding above the Egyptian desert. That is the first time in history, the first documented case in history of a comet striking the Earth's atmosphere and exploding. The discovery has been followed by 42 million people online. 42 million people, including National Geographic. Now, lead us through, Marco. Here is Ali Bakarat, and he's come across this uh, black stone in the Egyptian desert. Part of it then comes to South Africa. Could you lead us through the mystique and the story of, an, of identifying that this was not an ordinary meteorite, but was something else? In other words, a comet. Please lead us through step by step. It's taken over a number of years um, because uh, at the beginning, for more than a year, I had this uh, stone in front of me and uh, under the spotlight of our uh, instruments uh, at the Nexa in Pelindaba and uh, I kept having this weird analysis uh, streaming out uh, that didn't make sense. In other words, there was a lot of carbon. Yes. Then there were a few metals like uh, normally we have in any rock, calcium, magnesium, iron. But then there was a a massive amount of oxygen far and above uh, in excess of uh, the carbon and the other metals. Uh, So... In other words, that would already start saying, this is not an ordinary meteor. No, at that time I thought that my colleague, which is very capable, she did not know what Uh was was doing. Then I started blaming the instrument. Then uh, I decided, let's go to to other friends. The stone went from lab to lab and... I continue saying that nobody knew exactly how to operate this machine because this stone couldn't have that composition. So there had to be something wrong. But eventually uh, I gave the stone to one of my colleagues who used a a nuclear probe um, called the Van de Graaff Accelerator, which bypasses completely the X-ray technology and uses uh, protons and uh, hydrogen atoms uh, um, to probe uh, and to stimulate a a nuclear reaction according to completely different principles. And he confirmed that uh, there was oxygen, too much oxygen for... So that I had to accept that there was something not never seen before by... By scientists, by mineralogists. So, in other words, he has the stone. Just to recap for our listeners, he has the stone, and very interesting. There's this fingerprint of an excess of oxygen. There's simply too much oxygen. Where could the oxygen have come from? Lead us on, please. Well, uh, then uh, we started uh, uh, raking the internet. Uh, you go around and read and read. Uh, 
all the articles and uh, the only clearly material that could perhaps be compared at that time um, uh, for me was uh, this dust which uh, you know very well because it's your bread and butter this dust <laughs> that's what I love Marco <laughs> yes it's cosmic dust and the cosmic dust that uh, uh, NASA uh, scientists uh, fly up into the outer edge of the atmosphere to yes. capture yes. and then uh, they recover and then they analyze these yes. teensy weensy grains that are <laughs> invisible to naked eye but they create, uh, tell big stories, articles there are people Absolutely. that spend their lives analyzing times, uh, thousands of a millimeter across grains here I have something of the size of a centimeter, just a fragment of something yes. of the size of a yes. box. So it was, uh, I realized that uh, there was a game changer. It's like, I was told you in the past uh, how in the geologists uh, once upon a time were speculating the early earth, uh, what it could have li be like, but they only had very little traces. Then yes. some South African scientists uh, discovered uh, this uh, that this area in the eastern part of South Africa, in Pumalanga, the Barbeton mountain land, yes. and that land that discovered and recognized was a relic from 3.5 billion years Correct. ago. So yes. it was the opening of the what era that at that time was completely unwrapped and concealed. So this, I realized that this stone... Um, was the equivalent of finding a mountain range for a geologist, a normal geologist. Yeah. Uh, but this was a, a mountain range of things from uh, the outer edges of the solar system. Yes. So that is when uh, my friends started getting hot and, uh, and excited and uh, uh, Professor Jan Kramer, yes. uh, uh, most extraordinary geochemist and cosmochemist, yes. uh, then uh, recently joining, having joined the University of Johannesburg from uh, many years at uh, the University of Bern, um, then applied this mind and extraordinary uh, expertise and unlocked, unpacked uh, the, the fingerprints. Uh, I, could, I could have written perhaps in those days a tiny article, uh, interesting, but forgotten. But mm. he was able to find the proof, the forensic proof, the smoking gun, of the comet uh, in yes. the form of gases yes. that uh, were trapped. So let me just elucidate for the listeners what Marco and his team, including the principal investigator on the paper, Professor Jan Kramers, actually have discovered. They have postulated in a research paper that a comet, now what are comets? Comets are simply dirty snowballs of ice mixed with cosmic dust. That is what a comet is. And perhaps the most famous comet of all time is Comet Halley. Once I remember getting up, seeing Comet Halley with its sprawling tail. Uh, nothing, of course, like 1910, an event, of course, I wasn't alive then. But certainly in 1986... I remember very well getting up and viewing Comet Halley. And of course, my own interest in astronomy 
uh, listeners on cliffcentral.com, started off with a comet. Allow me to elucidate. There was a very famous astronomer in Pretoria named Jack Bennett. And the year was 1969. And I was a high school guy studying at high school and I'll never forget on radio uh, hearing that if you get up one morning at 4 a.m. and you look towards the eastern horizon you'll see this incredible comet so I got up at 4 a.m. I still remember those were the days Marco when they delivered the milk in milk cans so that was quite extraordinary And I looked up at this comet, and I saw this incredible head, this almost whitish head, and then a tail. Now, how long was the tail? I would estimate that the tail stretched almost from the horizon to close to the zenith. It was one of the most beautiful, if not the most striking comet, which I've ever been privy to look at. So comets have visited us here on Earth, visited the solar system, the inner solar system, for centuries, millennia, and more. But what happens when a comet enters our Earth's atmosphere? And this is where all the forensic detective work led by Professor Kramers, Dr. Marco Andrioli, and others have led to. They have postulated that a comet came close to the Earth, But then it didn't just stay close to the Earth. It actually entered our Earth's atmosphere. Now, what happens when a dirty snowball of ice mixed with dust enters the Earth's atmosphere? There'll be an explosion. During the explosion, of course, the temperature will rise to about 1,500 or 2,000 degrees centigrade. But here's the interesting point. During the explosion, the shock, The shocks are so strong and the internal pressures so high that they can create what we call nano-diamonds, which are diamonds but in nano-form. And that's exactly what has been found in Comatipatia. Marco, would you like to elucidate just a little, expand for our listeners the incredible uh, mystique of finding diamonds micro-sized diamonds, nano-sized diamonds in this stone? Well, um, it's not just the, the nano-diamond, uh, but the, the whole uh, host of the nano-diamond uh, is also this uh, amorphous uh, uh, carbon, yes. sort of sponge, but extremely strong bonds between the atoms. And uh, they create... Uh, in the sponge, they were able to contain these uh, gases uh, of the atmosphere. During the explosion, the air yes. was so compressed yes. that uh, it interacted with the carbon yes. and uh, it was uh, trapped and, uh, in, in this uh, lattice framework. Yes. And uh, uh, in the diamond themselves uh, are able to trap uh, some uh, atoms of air and... Mm-hmm. Uh, like uh, hydrogen, for instance, is well known to be trapped uh, or uh, in diamond or nitrogen. Nitrogen uh, inclusions in uh, uh, diamonds are well known. So it's, um, it opens up uh, for us, uh, at least in my case, uh, my uh, expose me to a, 
a new uh, world of uh, of fast rapidly expanding science mm. uh, the mm. science of uh, of uh, of the technology of creating ultra hard material then i started reading uh, papers and talking to colleagues uh, and you discover that uh, there is a whole new world of uh, of technology dedicated just to create the materials of the future materials mm. that don't need metals mm. the, just you need atoms of carbon mm. that can do electronics mm. computers can do mm. buildings can even perhaps make aircrafts mm. because uh, at, we know even a, a spider web uh, the wire the, of a spider is yes. stronger than a any steel that we can produce so it was quite a a, a very amazing development in mm-hmm. uh, and growth in my my personal life uh, to, to learn and uh, this uh, interesting facet and uh, i in a way young people have ahead a new world of Absolutely. new applications Absolutely. and, uh, and Absolutely. Uh, that uh, So in other words, what you are saying, Marco, is as this cometary explosion took place, diamonds were created in the process, but also uh, elements uh, from the Earth's atmosphere were actually locked in to the uh, to this uh, Hippatia yes. uh, fragment. That's what you actually say. Yes, so Now, that could, is you be, could you actually describe to our listeners on cliffcentral.com Um, what sort of age? When did this explosion take place, Mark? This place uh, took place uh, in uh, the era of the geological era called the Oligocene, uh, 29 million years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, South Africa wasn't particularly different uh, from uh, from what it is now because uh, it of its great antiquity. But uh, mm-hmm. many parts of the world uh, would have been certainly different, uh, and uh, there was uh, a sea probably. Uh, covering many yes. parts of uh, my native Italy, the Alps uh, were uh, not even just uh, they were only beginning to form. Yes. So uh, it is uh, certainly uh, a very long time. Uh, so that uh, even in the desert of Egypt, uh, 29 million years of erosion have removed a lot of what could have been the uh, the scene, the aftermath of the of the catastrophe or the explosion so mm. now once again as you say we have to do forensic uh, to put mm. together uh, what could have been uh, the ground zero but uh, one thing we discover is that uh, the ground zero was uh, this lake of glass uh, probably 40 kilometer in diameter incredible uh, incredible uh, if you can imagine uh, The, it was uh, the biggest uh, atomic explosion absolutely uh, of uh, that inconceivable almost but also what we find is that uh, in, the, in the glass and in the stone mm. that hypatia uh, we find signs of life recovery yes we find the first strange little insect plants we don't know what kind of plants of they are, they are yes. but we find evidence of uh, the beginning of life after yes. a total sterilization yes. of uh, due to a cosmic event so let's just backtrack just for a second when 
hepatia explodes. This comet explodes in our atmosphere. You are telling me that there's this lake of fire, if you like, around, you are saying, 40 kilometers across, if not larger. Certainly larger. Absolutely. Now, when the sand is subject, when there's it, uh, sand in the desert is subject to that sort of in explosion and those sorts of temperatures, what will happen is that the sand actually will become glass. And, of course, this is well known to be called the Libyan desert glass. But what is so extraordinary about Marco's finding is to think that in Tutankhamun's scarab is a piece of this Libyan desert glass. How did you actually feel, Marco, when you saw uh, Tutankhamun's pectoral and realized, wow, this is the result of a cometary explosion? Well, this is more the excitement of an Italian gentleman, Can you give uh, us Vincenzo his name? Di Michele, yes. who uh, uh, was uh, for many years uh, the curator of Milan um, Natural History Museum and a great uh, expert in uh, uh, geology and uh, of Egypt and traveled there. And he was the first one to spot that this particular stone and he said, Ha, huh, I've seen that before. Yes. And uh, then, uh, uh, as we, we are learning more and more, that, for instance, the Egyptian uh, pharaohs sent deep into um, the desert uh, battalions, uh, or military battalions, to look for re re mineral resources. Yes. Uh, even uh, the great uh, Cheop uh, uh, pharaoh, uh, the one of the great pyramid, for instance, uh, sent a battalion of soldiers mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to for uh, to, to secure in the desert a rare occurrence of a beautiful semi-precious stone that yes. was obviously very prized and they left behind in this uh, remote world part of the world an inscription which an archaeologist discovered and mm. uh, and uh, deciphered and, and reconstructed the history mm. so Mineral exploration has not been this, something of our era. It dates back many thousands of years, and uh, and uh, and took people even in those days great guts and uh, to venture into the desert um, and uh, to look for these exotic things. Yes, and I would encourage all listeners on cliffcentral.com just to Google Hippatia comet explosion and you'll find vast hundreds if not thousands of different links popping up hypatia is h-y-p-a-t-i-a -A. that's h for harry y p for peter a t for tommy i-a and if you google hypatia comet explosion you'll just find oodles of links i remember when marco's uh, finding was published Uh, National Geographic took it on. The Sydney Morning Herald took it on. Fox News took it on until it was read globally, as I've told you earlier, by 42 million people. Now, it's also very interesting regarding comets, and not only Comet Hepatia, but we'll return to Hepatia in a moment, is that on August the 6th, which is, of course, just around the, was around the corner, was a very, very special a momentous, a triumphant occasion in astronomy. 
For the first time ever, for the first time in living memory, for the first time, it has been possible for us to send a spacecraft called Rosetta to actually rendezvous with a comet. This is quite extraordinary. It involves a journey of over 10 years. So this spacecraft, Rosetta, was launched in the year 2004. It's over, the, the journey took over 10 years and around five months to reach this comet. Now, the, what I'd like to concentrate on for the next couple of minutes with my guest, Marco Andrioli, is this. Comets have captured our imagination for centuries. Comets have, imag- have captured the imagination of mankind for centuries. But why spend all this money? Why go? What is the interest of actually landing on a comet? Why? What's unique about comets? So unique about comets that, you know, whenever we can lay our hands on them, we do. We're going to take a break. You can contact me at 0861 That's Professor David Block on 0861 Call in with any questions you might have for us. On Twitter, reach us at, at CliffCentral.com. On Instagram, CliffCentral. On Facebook, CliffCentral. The WeChat ID, CliffCentral. This is Professor David Block looking up with David Block, joined in studio here in Ravonia with an incredible cosmic detective, Marco Andrioli. Join us. Follow us. Ask the detective questions on 0861-555-189. And now, paint the sky with stars.
Paint the sky with stars. Paint the sky with stars. You are listening to Professor David Block, joined in studio here in Ravonia at cliffcentral.com by Dr. Marco Andrioli, a truly legendary cosmic detective. We have a question, Marco, from Duncan. And Duncan asks this, Professor and Doctor, how could scientists prevent a comet in the future from hitting the Earth? How could they prevent it? Your thoughts, please, and then I'll elucidate. Um, well, this is obviously uh, something that has uh, been uh, a question uh, that engages uh, a lot yes. of uh, yes, it engineers. Has. And, it has. And uh, first of all, uh, the, the, there is uh, uh, the Torino scale, which is the Mercalli equivalent uh, for earthquake. The Torino scale, named after uh, this group of uh, uh, astronomers, uh, that, which is part of my colleague Mario Di Martino, uh, have been honored with this name, is yes. it classifies uh, the degree of danger yes. that an object that appears uh, at the outer edge of our capabilities uh, it has to reach the Earth and produce catastrophe. So it would be from one where it will be uh, a category one, where it will be just a very faint, a minimal, some, yes. a very low yes. probability. But yes. as it reaches closer and closer and it uh, approaches the Earth's uh, orbit, and uh, then it goes higher and higher in the Torino scale. Yes. So the technique, there are a number of techniques. Uh, the lo- the best is, as in every, uh, as a medical doctor would say, for a, a serious threatening disease, uh, dread disease, the sooner you identify, mm-hmm. the better. Mm-hmm. Because a, a small perturbation of the orbit of, uh, of an object that has the potential, which is high in the Torino scale, yes. um, the, the, the further away, the easier it is to deflect it out of this yes. orbit uh, of the trajectory. Yes. Once it is closer, then uh, it, at the given the speed, the amazing speed of this object is uh, astonishing, is a, a tremendous threat. I mean, the, I read the, the paper with astonishment that uh, to reach the and rendezvous with uh, this uh-huh. uh, um, Rosetta yes. uh, uh, yes. uh, uh, spacecraft yes. the, the Gerasimenko yes. uh, uh, comet they had yes. to travel at 55,000 kilometers per hour yes. so you can imagine trying to deflect a mm. bullet mm. that travels at that speed mm. very close to mm. the earth mm. it's practically impossible mm. Mm. so you have to do it perhaps when it is very far when it's traveling slow and uh, then uh, you could have, for instance, uh, uh, people have said the nuclear bombs, or uh, other people say no. But then you do more objects that uh, <laughs> still carry toward the Earth. Others That's say, a point I'd like to pick up on. Is that uh, uh, there've been a number of papers are, are focusing on this, as you know, Marco. And the idea is that if you've got a large object from space about to hit the earth 
and you, for example, are able to send atomic missiles up there, what will happen is instead of one piece coming down, you'll get, as Marco says, multiples of objects coming down. And you've actually just made your scenario a, hu a hugely worse instead of any degree better. Would you agree, Mark? Yes, that is why then there are other possibilities. One is, for instance, to try to deflect with uh, using a laser beam, trying to create jets of high-velocity gases streaming out of the comet, perhaps using laser beam from a, a rendezvous spacecraft. Yes. The jets would just nudge very gently away from slightly uh, over a billion kilometer, even a, a, a fraction of a degree it makes could make a difference of a thousands of yes. if uh, a tenth of thousands of kilometers. So the uh, the object could uh, pass by and uh, uh, without hitting the mm -hmm. uh, the Earth atmosphere. And uh, mm -hmm. so that is a possibility. Um, Or perhaps using, uh, trying to, uh, to use the pressure of yes. the solar wind yes. or the solar light yes. pressure um, yes. by putting foil over the, the comet that could create an instability yes. into the orbit. Again, a differential um, a slight uh, pressure on one side of the comet rather than the other, which again could the result in a, in a, a mm -hmm. small shift in the, in the trajectory. Now, so. to all listeners on cliffcentral.com, it's very important for us to understand why spend all this money, for example, why all the great excitement regarding the Rosetta mission and the rendezvous with a comet. Why are comets so special? Well, comets, first of all, come from the very outer domains of the solar system and even beyond the solar system. So, Comets contain pristine, unprocessed material from the very beginnings of our solar system. In fact, comets, for example, contain the holy grail, if you like, of material which existed prior to the creation of our solar system. And that is why comets are so unique more unique than holding a diamond in your hand. To hold a comet in your hand is to hold an object which has come from the very depths of cosmic space and time beyond the echelons of the orbits of the planets and they thus contain what astronomers and myself in the area of cosmic dust would term pre-solar grains. In other words, grains which existed before the sun actually started its thermonuclear fusion of hydrogen into helium. Just imagine that you've got this collapsing cloud of gas to form our solar system, to form our sun, to form our planets. And But before the birth, before the birthing process of the solar system, you have this Uh, these objects in space containing these pre-solar grains, pre-solar before the sun was grains. Marco, this is extraordinary, is it not? As we have our six minutes left before the show ends, how quickly it does go. 
uh, to think of the pristine nature of this uh, traveling, uh, you know, laboratory from the outer echelons of our solar system, is it not? Yes, uh, particularly important uh, um, is to remind our listeners that uh, we have been looking at stones from the sky bumping down on Earth uh, for centuries now and uh, already in the 19th century uh, the foundation of, uh, of meteoritics have been laid and uh, minerals like osbornite, titanium nitride already discovered uh, in the 19th century but uh, the meteorites have all gone through, a, represent for us a period of cooking and let's say using mm-hmm. uh, a very practical sense mm-hmm. where the old material of the dust from which the solar system formed cooked mm-hmm. and recrystallized. Mm-hmm. So that material is no longer pristine, is uh, much similar in actual fact to rocks that we have on Earth that mm-hmm. we can find in, mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Barbaton, yes. magnesium-rich rocks. Yes. So... We never been able to go through that wall yes. of the yes. of the meteorite. Yes. So this is the yes. it was a breakthrough yes. to what is called the Ortes cloud, yes. a vast region of the outer solar system which has never been speculated. Absolutely. A lot of thought about, but never touched. And that to think, as you say, that you say, oh, good grief, this is come from there. And yes. when you look in the sky. It's a very deep experience. When I am out in the Karoo, look at the clouds of dust uh, against the Milky Way, and to think that that is what I have in the hand, it shrinks the universe in such a way that I never thought. You get the feeling that the world is, the universe is shrinking. Now, of course, time is running out fast, but what I'd like to ask you is a personal question, and that is this. How, once you identified that this was a comet which exploded uh, in the uh, above the Egyptian desert, and then you held it in your hands, how did you feel, Marco? How, what did it do to you from an emotional point of view? Um, speaking on a personal level, I felt that uh, it was uh, my Lord uh, Jesus had uh, taken a pair of tweezers yes. and literally picked up a couple of little stones yes. very interesting and put them there in my hands yes. with a pair of of tweezers yes. because he has very big hands yes so and so in other words you felt personal. you felt that jesus was actually giving you by means of tweezers tiny pieces of gems containing the secrets of the outer solar system Absolutely. is that, that is correct what uh, it really felt in in the depths of my heart and when you now look up at the sky and you realize you've seen a comet and not only seen one but held one, doesn't this fill you with a sense of trying to unlock yet more cosmic mysteries? Well, uh, is the, that is the beauty of science. Uh, uh, this everlast, uh, the, the, the frontier, the, the quest that never ends. But uh, I also realize in a personal uh, experience over 50, 60 years yes. of, uh, of, of science, because yes. I was a ch- passionate about science when I was already six years old and before. I, my first co- uh, meteorite I studied when I was five, um, <laughs> funny enough, and it was, yes, uh, that uh, 
we cannot reach science we cannot the Lord is with us and guides us to discover the beauties of the cosmos yes I think that uh, in the last minute it's just been a joy you've been listening to Professor David Block his guest in studio here in Ravonia cliffcentral.com uh, Mark Cosmic Detective Marco Andrioli in the last 45 seconds we play out with Enya. Thank you, Marco.